0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dow of Inbound. I'm Ian, not Ian, garlic, just like the spice. And I am the CEO of Authentic Web, an internet marketing agency. We work primarily with attorneys. Uh, we're located in Orlando, Florida. We do work with other companies if you're in the central Florida area. But throughout the nation, we work with law firms. And I'm pleased on this episode to have Mary-Kate Wimpsett. The goal of the Dow of Inbound, the people I want to speak to, who you are, are people that want to grow themselves, grow their business, make a change, and do good in the world, but also enjoy life. And that's what marketing can do for you, especially inbound marketing. And if you don't know what inbound marketing is, well, Mary Kay's going to define inbound marketing for you, and she doesn't even know what it is. Uh, she And what I mean is, You'll see towards the end of the interview, she talks about it being a conversation and how she keeps herself in front of potential clients and how she's grown her business. No advertising, not a huge marketing budget, but she's worked at it over the years and helped people. And... What's amazing, amazing, amazing about this podcast is also Mary Kay helped facilitate one of the first uh, same-sex marriage adoptions in Florida, uh, probably the first in her district. she It's not completely definitive, but even being one of the first, we've made such leaps and strides in human rights and rights and uh You know, I hope if you're listening to this, you care about other people and you want to help them, and Mary Kay does. And it's amazing for her to have that accomplishment, but also that she's able to help people and not only help same-sex couples adopt, but also help the foster kids, which I love. And this is what this podcast is really about, is helping others and helping yourself using inbound marketing. So Mary Kay is going to talk about this landmark events and it's an inspiring story there's some legalese in there so stay with us I promise you it is fantastic and if you have any questions you can Google those um, but also pay attention to the fact that Mary Kay doesn't know a lot about the technicals of inbound marketing but she does it and she works in it makes it work for her she's fluid in that marketing and she goes into it not knowing what's gonna work but she keeps moving at it and keeps growing and and keeps changing and keeps getting better day in and day out. And probably like many of you, she comes down on herself about the marketing, but that's fine. But she's doing it, and she's doing a great job of it, in my opinion, in my expert opinion. So, without further ado, here's a great interview with Mary Kay Wimsett. Uh, so, I have with me today, Mary Kay Wimsett. She's an adoption and elder law attorney in. Gainesville, Florida. Uh, she's also a client of authentic web and a family member. Uh, so Mary Kay, thank you for talking to us. Mary Kay just had some big news happen and I think it's huge news. Uh, she's helped one of the first breakthrough adoptions in her district and one of the primary ones in the country. Can you tell us a little bit about that Mary Kay?
1: Sure. Um, We were, what we we did yesterday in Alachua County, which is in the 8th Judicial Circuit, and it's interesting because there really isn't good data yet in terms of how many uh, gay adoptions have been done in Florida. Um, But I know for certain in my circuit, this is the first one, because in our circuit we have uh, an attorney that works for the court system that reviews every case, and she um, you know, when we when I first filed this case, we talked. She told me this was the first. This was a case of first impression, and so I know for certain we're the first case. But I suspect that we are probably the first case north of Orlando, anywhere in Florida. Um, for you know, since the, there was a, and I don't know, Ian, how much you want me to get into the nitty gritty of the legal history of gay adoption, but yeah, tell
0: tell us a little bit about it.
1: Okay, so this. Florida statute has a provision that's been on the books forever that says no single person can, no one adult can adopt the same child, which basically prohibited gay adoption until the Gill decision, which is a decision out of the third district court of appeal down in Miami where um, there was a very, you know, wonderful attorneys um, took on this issue and litigated it at the time. You know, it was D- DCF fought on behalf of the state um, to fight the adoption. They, it's it's a fascinating. If you can get get a copy of the um, transcript of the proceedings, it's really very interesting that, to read how they cross examined the you know the the attorneys for the adoptive family, how they cross examined the um, ex so called experts for the state. Um, it's really interesting, um, a very interesting transcript. But they, um, in the Gill case, it was just one man, but he had been a longtime foster parent of the child he was seeking to adopt. And after that decision came out, the, um, you know, at that point on, and, and the department at that point acknowledged that, um, you know, they were wrong and they agreed to, um, accept home studies or complete home studies on gay individuals. So since 2010, gay people have been able to adopt in Florida. And how gay couples have adopted, though, is they've had to do it as two adoptions. And we ca- we call them second parent adoptions, which are more expensive because it's two separate proceedings, number one. And number two, they take a lot longer because you have to complete one adoption before you can do the the second one. So um the um the, so we've been doing it that way since 2010. So but with the decision from Judge Hinkle, a federal judge and it was at the end of December of 2014, um it went into effect basically I think January 2015, found with the finding that gay marriage is now legally recognized in Florida, um we uh with that premise, we filed this adoption and sought to have the couple adopt as a couple. Now, I'll tell you, initially, it was filed as a second-parent adoption because the concern among adoption advocates um, in Florida is because of the, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to rule on gay marriage this summer. And the concern is that if for some reason they find that gay marriage is not legally recognized in Florida, then you potentially would have to go back and redo the adoption. However, my judge um, felt that, and my clients understood that's the risk potentially, and we, we talked in depth about that, and the court came to the conclusion that um, right now, gay marriage is legally recognized in Florida. If we wanted to do the adoption as a couple, that the court was willing to sign that order and allow them to adopt as a couple just as a just as a straight couple would adopt. And, and I'm by no means an expert on, you know, what the U.S. Supreme Court is going to do on the, the same-sex marriage issue. But I, I think most, I mean, what I've read generally, what I think most scholars feel or anticipate will happen is that the court will... Um, you know, worse, the, the, you know, the most extreme thing they might do is enable the states to make their own decisions, potentially, so that, um, you know, states that have said they won't recognize gay marriage could stay and not, you know, doing that, and but allow Florida to recognize them. Or even say, you know, again, and, and again, this is very extreme, and I don't know that many uh, advocates think this would actually happen, but that if they were going to take any action, they would not. Undo all the marriages that have been recognized since Judge Hinkle's ruling, just because that would just be a logistical nightmare um, in terms of you know, because so many couples have you know now bought property together and um, you know their benefits have been realigned to recognize each other, and so I you know I think I think the judge felt comfortable and my clients felt comfortable and I felt comfortable with them adopting as a couple. So what this means now for other gay same-sex couples, and is that they will be able to adopt just as you know straight couples in terms of um, avoiding the double proceeding and avoiding the double um, fees and the in the length and all of that.
0: Um, you know, I, I, it's fantastic that this is happening, and it's so important I believe uh for it's a big movement in rights uh just in general but I I think what it moved me the most in your story and your blog post and hearing about it is that it was a, a foster child and an older foster child. And, you know, having worked with Guardian Lightem and you, you work with Guardian Lightham and, and seeing what adoption can do for especially older foster children, uh, it's, it's a big move. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, you know, what that means to, you know, children like this?
1: Sure. And, and I think most people do not really have any idea how many older children there are in foster care but there are unfortunately a large number of children in foster care that are not in pre-adoptive placements so because what happens with kids who are not placed for adoption at a young age or who are in the system for whatever reason for a significant length of time it becomes very difficult for them to bond with whoever's caring for them and so those kids And not all of the kids, certainly, but a lot of those kids have emotional issues that given the nature of our foster care system, uh, they can become exacerbated. So they become, you know, every day that goes by that they're not in uh, in an adoptive placement. And this is assuming, you know, of course, that they're, you know, the state, of course, first has to make an effort to reunify them with their parents, get their parents whatever services they need and make the family whole. But this is assuming we're at the point where their rights, the parents' rights have been terminated. Um, And, you know, things happen where it's not, you know, necessarily even, you know, some of the kids, it's just really bad luck. You know, they have foster parents that die, foster parents that get sick, foster parents that have to move. Um, So the kids end up in multiple placements. Or if they have mental health problems, then they end up in um, residential treatment centers where then they're exposed to a population of kids that are also troubled. So then they, you know, have developed behaviors that are um, you know, further exacerbate their issues. So it's very unusual to see, you know, once we, we always, I mean, those of us in the system, not just me as the adoption attorney, but also the, um, case managers and and the judges and the, um, the guardian ad litems, we really rejoice when we see a child adopted, Like Michael, the child who was adopted yesterday, because we all know how hard it is to find a good fit for kids once they're over, you know, and there's no like bright line age. But I would say generally, once kids are over 10 or so, it becomes more and more difficult to find placements for them. So, um...
0: And what what is, I mean, what does the placement mean to these children? What is, I mean, what's the difference in life and in and, and the way of life and even long-term viability.
1: Well, you know, and, and the problem is these kids who were coming to the system because they were abused or abandoned or neglected by their parent, the one person who's supposed to love them and care for them. So they already come into the system with attachment issues. And then to have that Reoccur every time they get, you know, that rejection. You know, every time they move, every time they change placement, every time they don't bond with a foster family, it reinforces their their, their lack of um, self esteem and just, you know, again exacerbates exacerbates the issues. So it's fantastic when we have a situation like this where we have foster parents that are willing to. Um, you know, work with an older child who definitely has had issues and willing to, um, you know, give him love. And, and once, you know, it's, it's fascinating to see kids though who, kids like Michael, who have a really hard time before they get into a good placement. Once they're in a placement where they have that security, where they have that stability, they, Many times, now, not always, because some of the kids, they have so many issues that they're going to need help forever, but many of the kids, their behavior problems dissipate. You know, they, they just, once they know that they are in a place where they're loved and that they're not going anywhere, you know, a lot of their issues, um, Subside now, and that's why we have provisions in the law that require. You know, it used to take a lot longer for. Even since I've been in this and worked in the dependency system, you know, when I've been a guardian with the Guardian to Leiden program, pretty much since I graduated from law school. So, you know, we're going on almost twenty years. Um, even since then, we have come so far in terms of how quickly we dispose of the cases. I remember one of my first trials I did with a, a termination of parental rights where the kids had been in foster care for five years before we even got to the TPR trial. So they had bounced for five years. Now the law requires that six months under the case, you have to, the court has to look at the case and make a decision about whether or not it's likely the parents are going to be able to do what they need to do to get reunification. And if they aren't doing what they need to do, then the state moves forward with terminating the rights at that six month mark. Now they have a case, the case plan typically gives them, I mean, it gets complicated and we could talk about this for hours, but I mean, generally you're seeing though adoptions, kids' parents' rights, abusive parents' rights are terminated maybe a year to two years from when the kid comes into the system versus five to seven to eight years. So um, you know, we've really come a long way in terms of getting that permanency. But that's why, you know, that that change in behavior, that improvement in their lives once they have that permanency is the reason why we have the laws that we do that really force the cases um, along the path of the dependency case. And, you know, for Michael and for many kids, I mean, it's hard to, I didn't know his other foster family, so I haven't, he might have been in a wonderful foster home. But just knowing, if you think about as a parent, your love for your child and, or as you, as you think as, as a child of your love for your parents, thinking about living somewhere where you are not part of that family. You're just like a tenant of the family. You can, you can, you can appreciate the difference, um, in the feeling of the placements, even if it is, you know, a wonderful foster home. But, and I'll tell you, most older kids, though, are not in what I would call wonderful foster homes. There are, you know, unfortunately, I mean, it's because a lot of the older kids have a lot of behavior problems, have a lot of difficulty. They have a lot of, you know, they have some of them have issues with the the criminal justice system. They, you know, have issues in school. They're very, 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 very difficult kids to place because so many of them have so many issues. So I'm not being critical of the foster parents either, um, but the ones who do it, like, you know, Jason and George in this case, they absolutely had, you know, the skill set and the time to know what they were getting into and to take good care of Michael. But, um, you know, and so that I think makes it even, it makes the story even more remarkable in that um, not only are they, you know, getting a child, which they've been wanting for since they've been married, but also, you know, they, the difference that, you know, of the life that Michael's going to have as opposed to if he had not been adopted and just aged out in foster care.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a, it's a fantastic story. It's heartwarming, uh, you know, and obviously you went into adoption law and this type of law to change the world, to change lives. Uh, because from my understanding, it's not the most lucrative type of law. <laughs> um, so what do you, how do you feel personally? About what what you've accomplished here and and what you know how far the laws come and how far how much faster everything's going, and what this means to the population as a whole
1: Well, I mean, it's certainly um, incredibly gratifying professionally um, to be able to use my legal skills to help a family become whole. so I mean I mean that's just an easy that's a no-brainer it's it's incredibly rewarding um and i think also i think you know I, I i do i teach a class at the law school sometimes and i often get asked by the students you know well how do i i want to become an adoption attorney and uh, you know they want to do it right out of law school which is great but also i think for me the the these adoptions i mean and every adoption is special and they all have different you know i did a step parent adoption yesterday that was just as touching in terms of, you know, it was a child who, um, you know, the birth father has been not paying child support, has not visited the child for seven years, and the mother remarried and her husband has been caring for the child for years, and we did that adoption yesterday as well, and that was incredibly heartwarming and, and touching as well. But I think the foster care adoptions, as, as you say, you know, it's not like I'm ever going to get rich doing them, but I will always do them as long as I can. Because I think because of my experience in, um, the dependency system, when I worked in the trenches with the guardian ad litem program and saw the kids that weren't adopted and saw what happened to them. I mean, it's just, and also I think in the, I was also a public defender in the delinquency system and represented kids in the criminal justice system. So I think, you know, seeing what can happen absolutely gives me, uh, you know, a, a, an incredible appreciation for when we have an adoption like we had yesterday.
0: Yeah. Um, so this is a, a podcast about marketing about inbound marketing. And if I ask you to define inbound marketing, I know that Mary, Mary Kay is not going to be able to define it. But she does it, and she does it well. And she doesn't even think about it. And she thinks she's just doing a, a poor job, but she gets a response. And Mary Kay does a lot of blogging, uh, spends time on Facebook, Let's and, and, and it's just herself. And you can tell, uh, Mary Kay, when you talk, you can tell about your passion for it, your knowledge, and you're your, your wanting to help and wanting to do some good. Um, how much do you feel marketing has done? This type of stuff has done for your business. What do you think? Are the subtleties like? Do you hear it from other people? What do you think your Facebook has done for changing the way people perceive you, and also the way that you are able to help people?
1: Well, I think you know absolutely. um, My marketing strategy has been. To tr- trust you, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you've been with me since since I opened my adoption practice, and you know, we. I mean, all I had was a website, and I remember you telling me you got to do you. You made me set up the Facebook page, and you made me um you you fisted me to blog more, which I, I know I, I haven't blogged as much as I should, but I blo- I do more like what I have found that works for me is I do. I, they're not really, I don't think you could even call them mini blogs, but I do, I like, I try to get on Facebook at least two or three times a week and my Facebook automatically feeds to my Twitter. So, um, you know, it's, it takes me less than two minutes. You know, I have a, you, again, you helped me set up a, a Google feed. I don't know again what any of this is called because I just trust you guys, but, um, where I get an email every day that sends me the top adoption stories, in the in the world and i pick one and i i pro- i probably do it more than two i probably try and do it three well two to three times a week i if i see a story in there that's very compelling i'll share that on my facebook with some commentary from myself about the story um, and that you know and then what happens is i think that that reaffirms for you know not that all my clients follow my facebook page but i you know, I'm active in the legal community. I have, you know, I, my friends, I'm, I'm active in my children's schools. I've, my husband is active with the University of Florida. So we're able to, um, you know, people then, I'm popping up in their feed and they pre- may not even read it, but they are like, oh yeah, America Kay does adoptions. So then, because really my, I have never spent a penny on any advertising other than, you know, the, what I've done, um, with your company, Ian. I mean, I have not, and I am know, know you didn't ask, this is not, I know you, just for the listeners out there, this is, is not an ad. I didn't set me up to do this for him. But um, the, um, you know, I don't need to advertise anywhere or pay for advertising because it all has come organically through referrals yeah. and through, you know, word of mouth.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, Mary Kay, always, you, I mean, not to, this isn't a, uh butt kiss podcast, but you do a great job. You think that you're not, and you, and you, you're a little more self-deprecating, but you do a fantastic job because you're consistent and you, you put your voice to it. And, uh, and just being that, that consistency, doing a little bit and also saying, you know, one thing things that I heard and it's really big is do what works for you, but do something, but do what works for you. You don't have to do it. And it's better if you're doing something that works for you than something that you feel like you should, uh, which I think is great. Um, you know, when it comes to marketing and, you know, how far we've come with gay adoption and, and gay rights and just how far adoption's changed, how do you think marketing, I mean, because it's not just pure legal. It's, it's not just, you know, purely lawmakers doing it. Marketing is a part of it. How much do you think it's changed and accelerated everything that's happening?
1: Well, I think that on, on the issue of, gay marriage and gay adoption, I think what social media has done is made, we see a picture of other people's lives. You know, we're connected with all these people that, and I'm, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there that hate social media and blame it for, say, you know, it's going to cause the downfall of our society. But I, I, what I, one of the things I love about social media is it, the way it connects us and the way, you know, there are so many people that, I may not know, you know, I maybe have only talked to them for 10 minutes at an event, but they friend me on Facebook and I know then that they have a gay, um, brother in Colorado who is raising, you know, this amazing family or something, you know, I learn, and then I think, and let's say that, and I'm trying to give a perspective if, if I was against same sex marriage or against gay adoption, um, you know, and that might make me think about, well, wait a minute, I really liked that person. And then I look at, well, we have all these other common interests, you know, maybe I need to think about this a little bit more. Why, why do I feel this way? Is this bigotry? What is this? Where does this come from? So I think connecting and like realizing how, um, you know, how many of us have, um, our own struggles and issues and that life is not easy for anyone and realizing that, you know, you, um, were connected in so many different ways that we don't realize. I think that has tremendously helped, um, the same sex marriage movement. I mean, look at what happened in, um, you know, Indiana with that law and how quickly that spread and how quickly, you know, Google and major companies were pulling their fun, you know, funding there, and that would have never happened before social media. It just never would have happened that quick enough to make that kind of change. So I think that, um, you know, I, I think absolutely, um, social media has helped the the movement, and also because I think people people don't like to hear that there are kids in foster care that are being abused by their foster parents. And people don't like to think about the fact that there are hundreds and, well, probably thousands and thousands of children that would love to be adopted, but instead are in group homes where they probably have very little chance of being adopted. So, you know, by learning about those things and learning about the way, what reality is, um, I think opens people's minds and opens their hearts. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, um, you know, I, even I've had, you know, I posted something on my, I have a personal Facebook and then I have my law firm. I posted something yesterday on my personal Facebook about it. And it was fascinating for me to see who liked and commented on the, on the post, because there were definitely people that posted that I would have, that I didn't know would have been, um, supportive of a, of a gay option, you know, so. I don't know. And I'm just kind of talking out loud about this. It's just really, it's fascinating.
0: It is fascinating. And it's, it's funny to me too, because even though you're, you're not speaking necessarily in marketing terms, but this is what inbound marketing is all about. It's about people paying attention to a message and, and, you can change people's minds. You're not gonna be able to argue with them, but you can change people's minds with stories. And you can change people's minds by showing them how you live and 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 how other people live and, and and connecting with them on a personal basis. And that's what I love about it, is that you can bring people along. And if someone's along with you, you can empower them. And they also in turn learn about what you do. And you can build a business around it, so it, it's it's a continuously win win win. And what I love is that, like you said, it, it doesn't now. You don't need a major corporation or a major marketing budget to make massive changes, like affecting the way Google or major companies work and act. Which I think is very important for people to realize is that we can all do something now with this, these powerful tools. So uh, you know, I, um, if there's one thing you're going to tell attorneys out there that or someone that's looking to make a change and start their own business, uh, what would you tell them to do?
1: Well, I think you need to have an excellent web page. I'm shocked. You know, we get, I do, you know, in my, elder, we haven't talked at all about my elder law practice, but I also since, well, about, it's been about 18 months now I've done, also done elder law. Um, just because now that my, you know, I wanted to, um, learn a new area of law and, you know, work a little bit more and, um, ha- working with a fantastic attorney, Shannon Miller, who I've just learned an incredible amount from. Um, but, um, oh my gosh, I totally lost my train of thought. What were we talking about?
0: What's the, what's the <laughs> yeah. most important thing? <laughs> it's been a long day. I know you've had a long few days
1: So we, and we do a lot of litigation and we get pleadings from attorneys that we've never heard of and we're both pretty active in the bar so I feel like between the two of us we usually know you know who the attorneys are but we'll look up these new att- newer attorneys and their websites will be, be terrible and it just right at that your first impression is just that they aren't professional and they don't know what they're doing and that that doesn't that doesn't actually always pan out I mean there are some excellent attorneys that we've worked with that are, you know, we, we've never heard of before, but that first impression, and I'm just, you know, from a consumer's perspective, I would think, oh, I would never hire that attorney based on their website. So I think you have to have, people now do not go to the phone book to find anything. They look it up on their phone through the internet. So you have to, um, you have to have a good website. Oh, yes. be, if you could only do one thing, but if if you could do more, <laughs> I would say, and then also just trying to make those connections, however you can, through either if you do it through, you know, one thing that we and we haven't talked about this either, but one of the things we do with our elder law practice is we send out a newsletter, an electronic newsletter, where we connect with all of our clients. And anyone we have an email that we've gathered an email address for, um, you know, connecting. So reminding people that you already know that are satisfied with your service that, you know, but you've helped them as they, they don't need your services anymore. But remind them, you know, maybe five years since you did their estate plan, but they may be at a lunch the next day with a friend who says, oh, I'm so, I've never done my will. I need to do that. And they think, oh, and that, your my, your name is right there on there, either because of the newsletter or they, you've been in their Facebook feed or however you've connected. So figuring out a way to make those connections and then maintain them.
0: Yeah, And I mean, Mary Kay, that, have you just defined inbound marketing? I mean, <laughs> you, you literally did. And I don't even know. I haven't. And We've never discussed it. We didn't discuss this beforehand uh, because the term is relatively new. Uh, but you, you defined it. I mean, that's what it is. You, you keep that connection. You, you stay, you keep that conversation going and people are going to, you're going to be there when people need you and that's it. And, and that's awesome. And I swear I didn't tell her what to say.
1: <laughs> I don't even, if I had to define it, marketing, I don't know, but I have, I have bought the book. I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. So Mary Kay, uh, I'll, I'll send you your check. Uh. Thank you so much for being on here. I appreciate it. Um, what do you, what's the best way for people to follow you? Is it go to your Facebook page? You think?
1: Yeah, probably just to to follow my Facebook page because you can message me through that as well. Or to you can also contact me through my website. Okay, awesome. If you Google me, thanks to Ian, I'm like. Always at the top.
0: <laughs> so well, thanks thanks to our team people. here at Authentic Web. I don't do any of this stuff anymore. I just hang out and interview people on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Mary Kay. And sure. congratulations. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon.
1: Okay. Thank you.
0: I love that interview. And, you know, Mary Kay talks about a lot of things. In that that she doesn't even know she talks about when it comes to inbound marketing, but she does naturally. She tells people to go to her Facebook page and connects with them on there and puts out real information and her opinion on it and makes it hers. And that's curating, curating the web. And that's one of the rules of social media is to curate the web. The other thing that Mary Kay does is she does, like I said at the top of the podcast, makes things her own and does a little bit every day in five, 10 minutes. But it works and it keeps people coming to her website. And I love the fact that she says you need a good website. Now, if you can't afford a good website, start with something. But your website should be a priority. And I know you're like, well, this guy owns a marketing agency. I'm telling you this because I judge people by their website. We all judge people by design and your website is the most viewed part of your business For every time you meet someone they're looking at your website 5 10 20 30 times People you've never met are looking at your website and judging you And so how are you going to put that best foot forward? They're going to judge your expertise. They're going to judge your personality. They're going to judge who you are on the flip side Not to scare you What's great about it with your website is you can put your story out there and you can connect with the people that matter to you. And that's so important because you can connect with them. You can change their opinions and you can make it yours and you can use inbound marketing to increase your business. You can use inbound marketing to make huge changes like Mary Kay did to truly help people to change lives. Because if only if Mary Kay only helps those three lives that she talked about today, which she's helped countless others. She's made a huge impact to the world. And what's how are they going to pay it forward? Will be amazing to see. So thank you for listening to Dow of Inbound. Please remember to go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, review. Go to iTunes, Dow of Inbound, subscribe, rate, review. As soon as you stop your car, subscribe, rate, review. If you're listening to this on the web, Google Dow of Inbound, T-A-O, of inbound and subscribe rate review. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. This has been Eye and garlic and I'll talk to you soon.